Well, I heard a rumor today that Taylor Swift's boyfriend is going to be playing football at an Usher concert. I don't know much about that, but I'll do my best to uh, see if we can get finished here before the Usher concert is over with tonight. So. Yeah, who's Taylor Swift? <laughs> she, uh, she's a, she's a has-been in the music industry. A has-been and a will-be and a are-is. And... All right. So help me, um, so I appreciate you guys being here. appreciate you, you uh, coming to to take part in our Sunday night services uh, in spite of the concert. Somebody define success for me. What is it? What is what is what is success or what does it mean to be a success? How about being the best at what you decide? The best at what you do. The best at what Oh, the, the, the best you, being the best you. Now, the best me is sitting in my lazy boy eating dark chocolate and watching old reruns of uh, 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 Andy Griffith show. <clears throat> that's a pretty good goal. That's a, that's a, you, you like that goal? You appreciate that? Okay. That's my truth. I'm, that's the truth I live by. I don't know about you, but... Uh, so, so being being the best you, all right. So, what else? Setting a goal and achieving it. Setting a goal and achieving it. Uh, a, a goal, something that that is, is difficult but but attainable with effort, and then then achieving that goal. All right. What else? Becoming a Christian. All right, becoming a Christian. And living the way God wants you to. How do you suppose the world defines success? Money. Money? Power? Prestige? I'm sorry? Followers. Followers? Yeah. How many followers do you have? Yeah. Um, A concert? An Usher concert? Or a Taylor Swift's boyfriend? Yeah. By the way, I'm rooting for the Cowboys tonight. Go boys. Yeah. <laughs> um, in, in, from the world's perspective, what is acceptable in our pursuit of success? Well, what, is, what is acceptable and what's off limits in our pursuit of success? If we're in the world. Been the rules? Within, oh, within the rules, okay. To stay within the rules, okay. You have a very gracious view of... of Don't go what? Don't go into politics. Don't go into politics. <laughs> All right. I think we're deviating now. We'll try to. <laughs> For some, a lot of the world defines success as reaching the top. Whatever it is, whether it's in academics, you're on the dean's list. If it's at work, you're the CEO. Whatever it is, it's climbing to the top. And I'm going to suggest to you, and you're free to disagree with me if you want to. I'm going to suggest to you that from a worldly perspective, for many in the world, it's okay in the pursuit of success to climb over others to get there. That's an acceptable technique. 
for, for achieving your success, living by your truth. But this evening we're going to look in Mark chapter 10, and Jesus has a little different strategy for success. And instead of climbing over people to get to the top, Jesus tells us we need to climb down. We need to climb down and become a servant of all. Let's go to Mark chapter 10. It will not be on the screen, so open your Bibles and read with me. Mark chapter 10, verse 32 through 34. By the way, I don't do that to, to be lazy or to punish you, but I think there's power in us opening our Bibles together. And even though we don't always have the same translation, and sometimes it's difficult to follow, if we can see those words in our Bibles, and, and my prayer is next time we come across those words, there's some recollection, there's some remembrance, not only of this lesson, but of previous lessons and and revelations and thoughts that you've had in your studies as well. So open your Bibles, read with me, Mark chapter 10, beginning of verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the, the cup? I drink or be baptized in the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right and left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. So let's stop there for just a minute. Well, let's say let's, one more. When, they, when the ten heard this, they became indignant with James and John. All right, now let's stop. Okay. So James and John are pursuing success using the self-serve strategy. Now, Jesus has predicted his death. By the way, this is the third time in Mark's account of the gospel that Jesus has predicted his death. And apparently, at least some of the disciples still don't get it. It hasn't soaked through. And what do they say in teaching, repetition, you know, in preaching, they tell them what you're going to tell them, then, then tell them, and then tell them what you told them. And so it's the idea of repetition, what you do with your kids over and over again. You try to re repeat the same thing over and over again. Jesus is three times he said what's going to happen to him. And they seem kind of impervious to it. And, and, and that's not fair. Uh, if I was one of those 12, I'd probably be just as dull as they are. It would be something so foreign and so strange to me that I couldn't even have a place to put it. I have the advantage of 2,000 years of history to help me understand that. So I, I don't need to be smug about that. But they don't seem to get it. They haven't understood the significance of Jesus' prediction of death. But they do understand, so let me, let me do this, but they don't understand the true significance of his prediction, but what do they understand? Based on their question, verse 37, based on their question, what do they get? What do they understand about Jesus' prediction? Well, they understand he's going to be a king somewhere, right? They understand that he's going to be, have, a, have a throne. And he's going to have some positions beside him. They understand something big's going on. They get that something big is happening. They may not understand exactly what that is, but they get something big is going on. And so they want to be a part of that. 
There's something, and, and notice there's something, verse 32, about Jesus' demeanor that's what? They're on the way to Jerusalem when Jesus leading the way. Disciples were what? And those who followed were what? Now, the old NIV has astonished and afraid. Do you have anything radically different from that? There's something going on. There's something big going on. They're astonished and they're afraid. Uh, the closest tie-in is this rich young ruler who's come to Jesus thinking he had done all he needed to do to go to heaven. And he goes away sad because the one thing Jesus told him he needed to do, he wasn't willing to do because he valued his money more than he valued God. That's the take on that. But there's something going on, something big going on. It's astonishing to the disciples. It's frightening to the followers. So this may be James and John's best chance to look out for number one. And after all, if you're smart, that's what you do, right? They're asking for a favor, and, 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 and it's no small favor either. What does it mean to sit on the right and left in, when he comes into his kingdom? Okay, you know you've made it. What else does it mean? Favor. Power. We're talking about what, what is, how does the world measure success? Money, power, prestige, recognition, followers. Man, it's hard to be in a better spot. The, the only more powerful spot is the center throne. The one on his right is all the position that's number, the number two spot because that's the power hand, the power arm. Well, on the left, number three spot. That's not too bad. If you've got a kingdom and you can't be the king, number two, number three ain't bad. So they're asking for a favor, and it's no small favor, is it? They seem to be looking out for themselves. And apparently... By asking for the two most honored and powerful positions in Jesus' kingdom, short of Jesus, they evidently don't mind climbing over the other apostles to get there. Right? Is that, that's not a kind thing to say, but is it accurate? They have a worldly view of success. This is their best opportunity to get ahead, and they don't mind climbing over the others to get there. So the two disciples are blinded by their ambition. It, it's blinded them to the true path to success. And by the way, what is the true path to success in Christianity? Whoever wants to be great must be the servant of all. So they, they're blinded to the true path and look at the bold claims they make uh, can you drink the cup that I drink now what's he talking about the cup that he when, when Jesus says can you drink the cup that I drink verse what 38 when, when you hear about the cup when, when Jesus prays in the garden father please let this cup pass from me what, what's really the re, uh, what's the reference there Death, suffering, crucifixion, usually it's, it's, the cup often refers to God's wrath, an expression of God's wrath. And here, God's wrath is expressed by death on the cross. That's God's frustration and wrath at sin, rebellion against him. And Jesus suffered that. When he says, please let this cup pass me, what he's saying is, let me dodge your wrath, if at all possible. So when they come and say, and they, they want to drink the cup, Oh, no, when they want to share the seats, Jesus says, can you drink the cup? 
We, they want honor. Jesus says, can you handle the pressure? And the baptism he's going to be baptized with? Suffering and death. A martyr's death. Now, you know, it's that, that old phrase, be careful what you ask for. Some of God's most harshest punishment for humanity is giving humanity exactly what they asked for. We want a king. No, you don't. Yeah, we do. No, you don't. Yeah, we do. Let me tell you what it's going to look like when you get a king. Yeah, we still want a king. Okay, you got a king. The, so you tell me, when, the, when Jesus says, can you drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, what do they hear? He's saying, can you be the Messiah? Can you offer the perfect sacrifice? Can you, can you calm the wrath of God by your sacrifice? Can you do those things? And the answer is obviously no. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what do they hear when he asks about the drinking the cup and being baptized? Something they can do. Ah, oh, yeah. We can do that. John the baptizer baptized you. How hard can it be? We can share a cup at dinner tonight. That's no problem. Totally clueless. Completely missing it. The baptism, the cup that Jesus would drink was the suffering that brought about by uh, humanity's rejection of Jesus as their Messiah. The baptism he would undergo is his sinless death on the cross as a payment for all of humanity's sin. And James and John are so eager to get to the top that they foolishly and ignorantly claim that, yeah, they can share in Jesus' glory. Now, there will come a time, and this is, one of, this is a hallmark in Mark's gospel. The hallmark is that he's, he's not at all uh, flattering of the, of the apostles. He doesn't, he doesn't put halos over their head and give them you know, perfect attendance and perfect attitude. He shows them to be people who are, are, are slow. In fact, Jesus asks them that. Are you still so, so dull to understand? Uh, so so they, they're eager to, to get to the top and claim they can do what Jesus can do. And, and, and his point is, you will experience suffering. You will, you will have a cup to drink of your own. You will have a baptism experience of your own, a, a martyr's death. But you can't. Have, you can't bring glory to humanity the way Jesus can with his cup and his baptism. You can't cover sins. You can't undo what Adam and Eve did in the garden and what has been done ever since then. You can't do that. You'll have your own path to walk, but you can't walk this path. When it does come their turn, their turn to experience wrath and to drink the cup and to have the baptism... Um, they will do that for the gospel's sake. They, they, to their credit, they will rise to the occasion and they'll do that. But for now, all they're doing is putting their spiritual immaturity on display for all to see. And that's not, that's a, not a kind thing to say, but it is accurate. So now, let me ask you this. Uh, now, are we going to be gracious to the other ten? Because what does it say in verse 41? Uh, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. You have something, uh, King James says, displeased. So, so, what are, the, so are we going to be gracious to the ten 
uh, or, or are we going to be uh, critical? What are they unhappy about? How much, how much grace you want to give to the ten? <laughs> they didn't think of it first. Okay, so they're doing the same things as James and John, meaning what, following Jesus and being a, a, a learner and a, and a student, okay. But they're not asking for the number one and two spot. So are we going to give them credit to say that they were indignant that James and John would have the audacity to make such a bold claim? You're a very kind and gracious person, Carolyn. Very kind. So, uh, okay, Keith? I, I just called on you because you have to say something now because I just called you now. I'm sorry, I thought your hand, I thought I saw you flinch. Okay. I'm going to go with, and just because I'm not nearly as kind and gracious as Carolyn is, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just not that nice a person. I'm going to go with jealous. First, I didn't think of it first. How far back do you have to go in Mark's gospel before you find all of them arguing over who's the greatest? There is an argument there in Mark over all of them arguing over who's the greatest. How far back do you have to go to find that? So this is the third time Jesus predicted his death. So you have to go all the way back to the first two or three chapters, and they're uninformed. And so as Jesus gives his three predictions of his death, they slowly come to realize that there's something really big going on. And so ten of them get it, and two of them don't. Is that is that where we're at, or... How far back do you have to go before they, they sh- all ten show that they don't quite have it together yet? In my Bible, it's one page. Look in your Bibles at chapter 9, verse 33. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, this is Jesus, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet. Because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Now, I hope Carolyn's right, and I hope I'm wrong. I'd love to think that they've got it. I hope. Uh. <laughs> they're, they're, like, they're a lot like, a lot like children. I, I'm going to suggest to you, and, and I hope, I hope, I hope I'm wrong. I think they're just as spiritually shallow as the ten. Uh, the, the other disciples were indignant. They were displeased with James and John. And maybe they were appalled at how self-centered James and John can be, at how, uh, how inappropriate that request is for what Jesus is about to do in his sacrifice. Uh, but the fact that, but let's look at verse 42. How many of the apostles did Jesus call together to give them a lesson on Who's the greatest in the kingdom? James and John? Yeah. It seems like it's a collective them. Uh, it seems like it's, it's a collective them. Now, if that's true, imagine how Jesus felt. Three times he said, I'm, I'm giving everything I have to this effort. 
not just dying, which is bad enough already. It's not lethal injection. It's not going to be quick and clean and easy. But being flogged and spit upon, scourged and crucified. He's, he's about to go through agony. Not only the agony of a physical death, but the agony of being, becoming the, the, the poster child for the very thing he abhors. Scripture says, he who had no sin became sin for us. I think that's kind of what was going on at the cross when he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Thinking just that moment, he, in, in eternity, he's never, had, he's never been at, at cross purposes with the Father. And he wasn't at cross purposes with the Father on the cross. But when he who had no sin became sin, he became the antithesis of everything God stood for. And I think you felt that. He's going there to do that. And what are the people who are going to take over for him when he's gone doing Yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying, Jesus, but what about me? You know, my children, love children, awesome, fantastic kids, but, but it's hard to find human beings more self-focused than kids. It's, it's, it's not that they're evil, it's just that's, that's a sign of immaturity. I mean, you know, when we become more mature, we become more in, in tune with what others are going through and more empathetic, sympathetic. Jesus is talking about this enormous event, and they know something big's going. There's going to be a kingdom. There's going to be at least two, two thrones on either side. There's something big happening. But then the whole thing is, about, okay, but what about me? How do you think he felt? Peter's denial wasn't the only time that his heart was broken, I don't think. Yeah. About success, what, what's success? You know, it's, I think back a lot of years, and I sounded a lot like these people here, you know. We can look in our past and find a lot of ourselves in these people, can't we? Yeah. And, and as I matured and as I got older, it's been progressing over 80 plus A few years, yeah. As a, uh, success as a mature grown man is different than success was as a young man. Yeah, and hopefully, uh, I'm like you, uh, you. You may have one or two birthdays ahead of me, but but hopefully, as our birthdays accumulate, we also gain some experience and knowledge and wisdom that goes with that, and we start to realize it's not all about me. And maybe success isn't what I thought it was to begin with. Maybe it's a, something wholly different. Yeah, thank you, Larry. Appreciate that. Anybody else? So, hey, I'm a picture of people walking over others to get to the top. Uh, let me just say this, and you tell me what you think. Our ambitions... And the way we pursue them reveal our spiritual depth. What we strive for, what we measure as success, our ambitions, and how we seek to achieve those reveal our spiritual depth. You with that? Is that an okay statement? 
How difficult is it to separate Here's a, we've, we've done this before. You walk into a room, somebody's had popcorn, and, and you just, you, you, you know, somebody at the office or at school's had popcorn, you walk in, in the break room, bang, boom, it just hits you across the face. Three minutes later, you don't smell it, right? You ever done that? You walk into a room, it has a smell, and a few, a few minutes later, you know, I lived in West Texas with feedlots, you drive past a feedlot, and you know it, uh, but the people who live there tell me that you get used to it. Bless their heart. We swim in a pool of selfishness. We, we, we're, in the, we're in the water. We live in a world that says you've got to grab all you can grab. And it's okay. It's dog-eat-dog. Dog. These are all common phrases, right? How difficult is it for you and me when we swim in the water, when we smell the feedlot all day long, not to get too used to it? Is that a struggle for anybody but me? It, and some, it, it is a struggle. And sometimes I forget I'm in the struggle. And when I forget I'm in the struggle, then I, then I fail to struggle. I fail to kick against the codes. All right. Any thoughts on this? If we aspire to positions of glory and prestige and we're willing to climb over others to attain it in these positions, then we reveal our spiritual immaturity. But we have an advantage the 12 didn't have. We're living on this side of the cross. The advantage that we have is we're living on this side of the cross. We've seen what Jesus has predicted three times come to pass. We've read of it. We've prayed about it. We've studied it. It's become a part of who we are. It's a part of our, our collective history as believers in Christ. And we have 2,000 years of followers to go along with that and their scholarship and their faithfulness and their example. If the writer of the Hebrew letter wrote to the Hebrews and said, we have such a great cloud of witnesses, we have 2,000 more years of great cloud of witnesses who've given this example of what it looks like to be faithful. We have all of that advantage. We know exactly what Jesus means when he speaks of his betrayal, his flogging, his death, his resurrection. In light of that, how in the world can we make a selfish grab for glory? We have no business seeking success through the self-serving methods. As Christians, we've pledged to follow Christ. We've taken his name. Christians, Christ followers. Before the beginning of time, Christ enjoyed the glory of being in heaven with his Father. And for my sake and your sake, he relinquished that glory to come down here and experience earth the way you and I do it and be tempted in every way. And yet without sin, the only one who didn't deserve to die for his sins, he took our sins to the cross and paid the penalty for us. He humbled himself, became obedient even to death on the cross. How can we let ourselves follow worldly practices and definitions of success? All right, let's press on. Mark chapter 10, verse 42. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, as their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Bruce read this forth in the Devo. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to but then to come to, to be served. I almost did it, Bruce. The man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
There are some behaviors that are unacceptable for Christ followers. In an effort to become great pagan rulers would lord it over, exercise lordship over their subjects. What do you think the apostles felt about that? How do you think the apostles felt with Roman pagan rulers lording it over them? What do you think their response was to that? It's, this can't be. This, is, this, this, this can't be. They're God's chosen people in God's promised land. And these pagan rulers are lording it over them. You think they appreciate it? You think they liked it? And what Jesus is basically saying is, you don't like, you remember when you were kids and, and, and your mom or dad said, you don't like them doing that to you, then why are you doing it to them? I know I heard that. Did y'all hear? I know I heard of that. You see Jesus talking to his disciples, why, why would you do to others what you don't like the Roman leader doing to you? You can't lead like that. Uh, they probably despise the way the Romans exercise their authority, and yet to get to the top, at least two of them are trying to do that as well. And so Jesus makes it clear that self-serving leadership has no place in his kingdom. Verse 43, not so with you. I think we'll stop there. Uh, Usher's concert must start early because the bells, uh, my assumption we still have seven minutes left. So, uh, thoughts, con- comments? David, yes. True success is living a life where we have a home in heaven. Yeah. I fought the good fight. I've run the race. Now I'm waiting through the crown of glory. Yeah. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Excellent point. Thank you very much for that. Let's close with a prayer. Father, we thank you for this time we have together. We thank you for the day. We thank you for the blessings you bring to us, small and large, every in every way. Father, we're grateful for your son and his willingness to relinquish willingness to relinquish the glory he had in heaven to come down here and be with us and to show us how to live a life, to show us you. Uh, if, if we've seen him, we've seen you. To show us the love you have for us in, in action, word, in, in, in physical form. Father, help us to uh, respect and appreciate that. Help us to remember that we're, we're swimming in the water of the world, but not to become accustomed to it. As, as Jesus prayed for his disciples, help us to remember but we're in the world, but not of the world. And help us to be people who measure success the way you measure success. Help us to understand that the way to the top is by getting on our knees and serving others. Remind us of that. And above all else, we are grateful for your son and his sacrifice and the confident expectation we have of a home in heaven through faith in him. Watch over us as we leave this place and go about our business. Help us to be salt and light. Help us to remember to speak your word and your truth and your love wherever we go, into every situation, all the time. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. We're dismissed.